Welcome to this episode of Life Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. This is a recovery podcast where we discuss what we have earned through recovery and how we live today a life beyond our wildest dreams because we choose to stay in recovery. We've been doing some of these episodes based on mental health recovery lately, and today my guest is a dear friend I met over a year ago on online meetings, and many of you may know her as, as at Chris Biz Chris on Twitter, or maybe it's Kiwi Chick. Um, but we're glad to have Chris here joining us today from New Zealand. Uh, Chris is a wife of 35 years, living with her husband and three children in New Zealand, and in recovery since September 2019 for mental health issues. Now, Chris, can you hear me okay? Yep, sure can. Oh, perfect. Okay, thanks for uh, a few trial runs there, and it happens to everybody, especially, it seems, out of the country. So good to have you here this morning. Um, Lovely to be here. I guess it's tomorrow over there. Uh, so good to have you join us. And uh, as you know, Chris, we talked a little, little bit about, we're really excited to have you. You're such a strong advocate on recovery policy for everybody. And I know that when the podcast was starting, I was talking about doing some of these podcasts, which actually resulted as a conversation with you way, way back. Um, several people asked me, well, Chris is going to be on, right? <laughs> Chris oh, is going to be on, right? Yeah, no okay. pressure, no pressure at all. Then, so now Chris is on. <laughs> so, um, why don't you tell us, Chris, basically your journey here? You in September 2019, probably as we would put it, entered a recovery process and for mental health. And I believe you said that that kind of started off with burnout. So, do you want to give us a little bit of detail? Let us know what changed for you that gave you the idea that you thought that maybe recovery would be something you want to look into. Okay. Um, which it's interesting because I hadn't even thought of recovery and, and wasn't even thinking about that. But um, my family have had had a run of probably 10 to 12 years of um, non-stop health issues and um, insurance claims. It, it was just a nightmare. Um, my husband had had an accident. Um, two of my children have chronic conditions. Um, the, and it was my daughter, actually, the, the youngest, who had kind of carried on carrying on and in the previous year had um, come, had come down with depression. And it was kind of like the final straw. And I'm an extraordinarily strong woman and I come from very, very strong women. And I had just kept going and people kept saying to me, oh, I don't know how you do it. And in my head, I kept thinking, I have no choice. You know, if I stop, the whole thing will collapse. Um, and September 2019, I can remember it really well. I was exhausted. Um, I had really hit rock bottom and had probably had six months of feeling like I was walking through honey and everything was hard and it was slow and it was sluggish. And I was away um, with my friends in Christchurch for a birthday. And um, on the outside, I looked like I was having a really, really good time. And on the inside, it was like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Um, it's too much. It's all too much. And um, I had started... Um, talking with people on Twitter, strangers, 
and um, I can remember the night of the party or maybe the next night but um, I was texting um, a friend and you know we were sort of chatting about life the universe and everything and I thought oh stuff it I'll tell him I'll tell him what's happened in the last decade and um, you kind of when bad stuff happens and you share it you expect either pity which I don't do I, you know I shy away from pity or people don't believe you or people go oh this is all too hard and they'll walk away and this very special human didn't and I woke up the next morning um, hungover um, looked at my phone and thought oh my god what have I done um, sent him a quick message to go oh look you know don't worry nothing nothing to see here um, and and sort of let's not ever talk again um, and he persisted and he said to me um, you've carried a lot for too long and you don't need to anymore and it was kind of like because he was a stranger and I had no no investment with him it was kind of like a safe place to talk about this stuff yeah um, and so I, I started talking to him and then I there was another friend on another person I met on Twitter and and it was the same reaction there was no pity there was oh my god Chris how have you done this for so long and it was kind of like the first step for me. Um, and they both said to me, you know, you're depressed. I go, no, I'm not. I'm just burnt out because depression's like this whole thing that I don't ever want to deal with. Um, and so I thought, right, I'll give myself three months till Christmas. I'll talk to a few people and then I'll be right. And, you know, that was two years ago and I'm still doing it. <laughs> and I'm still not. Say, can we ask you now? Are you right? <laughs> no. Is everything all right? We're all still here, right? That was yeah. like me coming into uh, recovery and saying I'll be there for six months and 38 and a half years. I'm still mm -hmm. here. You know, so I think that that's really important what you're saying. The thing about reaching out to total strangers, like when you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, when we go to bars, we talk to the bartender, you go get your hair done, you talk to the hairdresser, like there's some kind of value or not necessarily anonymity, but just a distancing by talking mm -hmm. to a stranger um, that's not family it's kind of weird, right? Because I know exactly what you're talking mm -hmm. about, because I feel that myself, like, there's things I would say to people in recovery posse on Twitter that in my real life family, whatever, I mean, I wouldn't be able to discuss. And I mean, like you said, we've never met these people may never meet them. Yeah. But there's a safety somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, because people know me in real life as this very capable person, and I am, you know, I, I do, I do get up and do what needs to be done every day. But that doesn't mean that I'm living. That just means that I'm ticking the boxes. Um, and the very and you can get into a yeah. form of existence, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing that they both said to me was, you have to tell people in real life. And go, no, it's never going to happen. You know, I have this, I have this persona in real life, and um, they would just give me pity and I, you know, I don't do pities. But so I, I would tell a couple of people and then I'd go back to these two friends and they'd go, right. So out of curiosity yeah. for people to kind of get an idea, Yeah. not to interrupt you, but it's an important point is like, for example, who were the first people that you felt comfortable approaching? Was it um, immediate family or was it more distant? It was friends. It was friends. It was friends. Um, I didn't really tell my family for um, three months. I told. I talked to my kids. Um, my kids are awesome. They're all adults now, and um, we have a very strong relationship. Um, 
and they kind of knew and that's that's the reality is that when you tell friends they all knew they all knew i was struggling um you know i would um we would go out of an evening and i would always be the one ending up in tears and the next day i wouldn't talk to people about it you know from this side of the fence looking back how stupid was i but i didn't think people knew <laughs> but like you and i talked about yeah. earlier too is that whether it's addiction to substances whatever or it's a, a recovery process of mental health or it's a recovery process of any kind you know the process is exactly the same that's and, right you know we feel like you know I'm, I'm drunk all the time, but I think I'm hiding it and I think nobody knows. And yeah. so whether it's this or it's something else, we're always the last to know. Mm. Everybody else all figures out something's wrong. They might not know exactly what it is, yeah, but they know something's yeah. wrong, that we're struggling in some way. So I think that's a good point you're making, too, that when you finally go to those people, um, you know, they knew there was something so it really does come down to our personas of ourselves, always being told to be strong women, always being told to be strong in our families. And somehow if that benchmark isn't met, so we always have to make it look on the outside like everything's okay, but we're dying on the inside. That's right. And um, I think there is certainly in in the culture that I grew up in, um, there is a badge of honour in being a strong woman. Um, and you don't want to lose that by somehow not being strong. But actually, the strongest thing I've ever done is is the recovery process. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I thought it was burnout. I thought it was depression. But the longer I'm in recovery and the more meetings I go to and the more people I talk to, um, I'm unpicking all the bits like shocking self-esteem, appalling self-esteem. And um, on the face of it, there's no reason for it. But you look back under the layers, you go back a few years. Um, I'm a very sensitive person. So all those comments people have made over the years have stuck to me, you know, like lint to a pair of trousers. Yeah. And um, I carry that and I and you, then you put on a front that says, I don't care anymore. I don't mind what you say to me. Um, if your self-esteem is low, you don't value yourself. So therefore, it doesn't matter what people do or say or act around you because you don't matter. Um, and, and we don't establish yeah. boundaries that we should That's be right. establishing. That's because right. we don't have self-esteem that makes us think that we have the right to have those boundaries. That's right. Um, so the things I'm learning... Um, and it's funny, I go to recovery meetings with mainly addict, addicts, either alcoholics or drug addicts or gambling addicts, but we all have the same sets of issues. There is always a self-esteem issue. There is always something happened in our past. There's a lot of grieving. Um, in my adult life, when I looked back, I had been grieving for for decades over, um, you know, I lost my father when I was 25 um, we had seven years of infertility treatments, including two miscarriages, um, two sets of IVF. The second set of IVF took with twins. Um, this is this is a little nutshell of my fertility story. Um, I got pregnant with twins, and my husband was due to go to Seattle for a year to do 
um, a master's of law. And I went with him naively thinking I would stay with him and then fly home, have the babies and look after them by myself. Um, and at the 20 week scan, they discovered that my daughter um, was encephalic. So she had developed without a brain and I was about to go into labor. Um, when I, um, we talked to the specialists, they wanted to terminate the pregnancy. And then somebody said they'd heard of delivering one twin, stopping labor and keeping the person pregnant. So we had nothing to lose. These babies were so precious. Um, so in October, I delivered my daughter and she passed quite quickly. Um, and I managed to hang on to my gorgeous eldest boy for eight more weeks. Um, we I flew back to New Zealand and he was born in the beginning of December um, at 28 weeks. And that self, I never really grieved her because all my energies were put into um, getting him as far along the pregnancy as I could and then looking after him. Um, my husband was there for the birth and then had to fly back to finish his degree. Um, so that's it's kind of compounding grief, but you just got on with it. Um, and that's a really good yeah. point, because I think when this starts for people, uh, no matter what their experience has been, and that's certainly a lot for anyone to experience and go through, like you say, you have a distraction, right? Life always provides us the distractions yeah. we need at the time. So like you said, your primary focus then was to have a healthy son delivered. Then I'm sure right after that, the immediate care then yeah. if you're on your own and your husband is is not there, um, you know, trying to just keep all of your ball, balls juggling. And the thing is, is that all of these distractions, I think these horrible, I mean, that's a horrible, horrible experience for you to go through and lose a child. And the thing is, you know, I don't think, I think of all the losses and all the griefs, you know, people say the hardest is when people lose a child. Yeah that they never recover. And the thing is, so like you, you know, you explain just how you come out of that and then you're distracted with attending for the family and other people. And then it gets stuffed, right? Until the next loss comes up. And then I don't know if you experience it, but my, my journey is very different with the depression and anxiety, but it also began with loss. Yeah. Age. And so what happens is I really believe grief is not just those who die either. It's the things that we lose along the way that we just stuff and we just don't deal with. And like you used a really, really important word, which is compounding. It's just yeah. accumulates, but it's got to come out somehow. That's right. And um, we kind of... Um it's compounding but it's also you're, you're grieving the life that you thought you were going to have so whenever these abrupt changes in the road happen you know like my husband's accident or um, like the kids having depression or chronic illnesses my kids have not had the normal teenage years that other families have and I grieve for them but I also grieve a bit for myself because that's not how I envisaged my life and you know now I'm 56 um my husband still works part-time but but needs some care. My eldest has chronic fatigue and so will be living with us long-term. Um, my daughter, the beautiful artist who drew my Abby and a lot of you all mm. work, she's coming out of 
the other end of depression and she's at art school and that's really good but she has social anxiety so her life forward isn't going to be straight straightforward um, and my second son who left home who's who's you know out in the world doing well still needs his mum and still you know because of COVID it's really screwed up his plans so it's kind of like um, when none of us are living the life that we thought we would and and you have to acknowledge that and you and I don't think people do I think people get to these sudden forks in the road they're hurtled down a road they weren't expecting and yeah they're doing it but they never give themselves to think you know this isn't what I wanted this isn't how I saw my life and even just acknowledging that and you know saying it out loud and then going well this is the life I've got and that's what people say to you is people kind of say well you know stuff it up sunshine or you know you sort of yeah this, this is your life get on with it and you go yeah but I need to not to tell somebody or acknowledge that this isn't what I expected to be doing that's and not something that you, yeah something you mentioned as well is really important is that you know when these things do change you grieve sometimes the things that you, you didn't happen in the yeah. in life that you don't have but also sometimes in the grieving um, we end up grieving what we don't have, but at the same time, it's whatever's in our mind that we think should have happened. Yeah. So, you know, it all gets messed up, right? And mm -hmm. like you said, then another distraction comes along. So if, like you're saying, you don't stop, you don't acknowledge, you don't say out loud, you know what? This just isn't what I signed up for, or this just isn't how yeah. I thought it was going to play out. Yeah. And acknowledge the losses yeah. and the losses of what is you thought, because no matter what, those are always expectations, dreams, yeah. whatever they are. And when they're not fulfilled, then that's when, you know, the depression, the anxiety. And then when we get tired and all these things happen, you end up getting a whole different set of coping skills, which aren't healthy. Yeah. And like the whole thing just spirals like a great big snowball. And uh, I think that, you know, it's so important what you're saying, like, say it out loud, just pause, acknowledge, and say it out loud to somebody. So how did you feel then once you kind of went through the recovery process? Now you've been attending some meetings, obviously, you know, our lives, whatever our circumstances are, even in our own life. You know, Charlie was a marathon runner for so many years, and then... Yeah basically is in a wheelchair outside of the house I mean circum sorry shit happens right yeah. and uh you know the bottom line is is that uh now where's George he's going to be very unimpressed to hear me swear on here mind you I think some people were waiting for you to swear to be honest but um who me I never swear yes I know we, we <laughs> We kind of were expecting a word or two because, you know, we kind of know you can hold your own George. But, you know, I think the thing is, is shit does happen. And then what happens, though, is is it's, we can't change it. But like right. you say, we have a choice. Are we going to be a victim? Or are we going to what you described, the pausing, the looking at the situation, the realizing that you have to grieve those losses and then talking about it? That takes us out of the victim mode, don't you yeah, think? Absolutely. And then um, we're the solution, whatever the solution is going to be, because it's going to change when people have chronic health, when they have mental health issues, there's no quick fix. 
it's all conditions that have to be managed. They're never cured. That's right. Um, so it's constant managing in a healthier way. So when you've gone to recovery meetings, what would you think that you've earned in recovery or in this acknowledgement of your losses in your situation? What is the most important things you think you've earned from that? I think the most important thing is that no matter how I am today, it is just today. Um, I still I still get depths of, not depths of depression, but I still get depressive episodes. And I know now that I just have to write it out and it will end. It um, will pass. It will end. It will pass. Um, and the best bit of advice I had recently was from my GP who knows who was my my doctor for 30 years. So she knows me, she knows the family, she knows the history, she knows everything that's happened. And she knew where I was sort of at that point. And she said to me, um, you don't have the life you thought you were going to have, but learn to live a parallel life within what you have to live. So that's why I do my solo roadies now. That's why I have my self-care Sundays where I set something for me to do that's just for me. That's why I now have this space in the house, which is going to be my office slash art room slash. Beautiful. Um, you know, um, it, and, and she's right. I can't change the parameters of my life, but I can choose how to live within those parameters. Um, and you think that's what any of us have to do? Yeah. Whether it's addiction, it's mental health, it's anything. It's living within our own limitations. And yeah. living within our circumstances and environments are very, very important with mental health. I mm. find. Yeah. And you know how you've created a beautiful space there for yourself. I've seen on Twitter as you've been clearing it up and beautiful surroundings, beautiful wood floors. Like, you know, the space you create for yourself is really important. Mm. And then of course you've got that beautiful water. Yeah. The walks. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm really lucky. I live a five minute walk from one of the most spectacular beaches, and um, I'm not walking at the moment because I've stuffed my knee. Because apparently, in, in your late fifties, you shouldn't start ten kilom kilometer a day walking because it's not very good for your body. Uh, just all of a sudden, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, but just to be by water, so it's, you know, lakes, rivers, streams, the sea, it really grounds me. Water um, so healing. Yeah. Um, other things that I've learned from the recovery group are um, meditation. I My brain goes 100 miles an hour all the time. And I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever learn how to meditate. And I started with walking meditation, yeah. uh, moving. You know, if I'm moving, then that sort of frees up part of my brain. But now I can actually sit for two minutes three minutes oh wow you're gonna have to I know. because i can only do the walking meditation yeah um so you know i've picked up skills i've picked up there's a lot of wisdom in aa there's a lot of wisdom in um i never thought i would be a group chat person you know the whole um i used to watch movies about um group therapy and think oh god never never would i ever do that and yet um I find value in listening to other people's stories because it means that I'm not the only person that feels like this. I'm not the weird one. I always felt I was a bit weird that I felt the way I do, but I'm no weirder than the next person. We have common things. 
we have our weirdness yes um our commonality and you know there's nothing better than hearing the words same that's right or somebody who goes uh I went through something like that. This is what happened to me. And all those things are different than people who go, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. No, you don't. You see, there's a whole different dialogue that goes yeah. on with people who are living. And someone who just goes, I understand. And the, and the best thing in recovery, too, I think the difference when we're talking to people is they don't have the need to fix it. They That's can right. just say, they can just hold the space and say, you know, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, things are that are difficult right now. And also we have conversations um, in recovery that you can't have in real life. Like I have talked about stuff because I know the person next to me really understands, really gets it. Um, I can't think of a specific example. But but I get what you mean. And the thing is, it's not the people's fault they don't understand. No. People don't have the experience they no. can. So it's kind of not their job to understand. No. But um, I get what you mean. Like mm. just that distance again. Mm. You know, of people getting you. And and the other thing is you never hear in a recovery. Like I will say to someone, oh, I feel like this. And they'll go, no, you don't. And you go, I do. This is, whereas in recovery, you never hear that. You never hear people negating what you say they always give you the affirmation that if, if they believe you that if that's what you're saying then then that's your truth for the day and I think uh, the difference is okay bottom line is we're not all going to be in these meetings if we don't need to be that's right so the thing is we're there for a reason where mm. you know there's an old joke about where we're all there because we're not here I mean the thing is is we got a reason to be there so we have a common purpose and it's the same as some different programs 12-step programs that hold very closely anonymity mm. everybody's got the same thing to lose everybody's at that same vulnerable so everybody mm. comes together in a vulnerable in a common purpose of a way and so I think that's the difference because people in our real life if they're not going through what we're going through we're not meeting in a common ground with a common understanding yeah, yeah. and and people in real life really want to help you but they they don't know how um, people in recovery want to help you but they kind of wait so you can show them how you need help. It's a it's a very unique dynamic. Um, and peer support is proven to be very, very, yeah. very successful. And I think that's why is because you're not sitting across from somebody who's got a textbook and you know they've never experienced it. Mm -hmm. They're not telling you in most cases what to do. If you're in a good recovery environment, people aren't going to give you advice unless you ask them directly for it. And usually it won't be in that venue. Yeah. And, you know, it's just the support. So I'm really glad that you have been able to enter a recovery process where you've gotten a feeling of acceptance. You've gotten a feeling of spaces being safe because there's lots of safe spaces. Yeah. And that it's helped you, you know, speak your truth because any real recovery process that everybody is really got the well-being of 
of all concerned. You'll generally find that you won't need the advice for people because they'll hold the space until you you come to yep. your your own answers. That's right. And um, that's the difference of the process you're trying to describe, the outside help or the inside recovery. And I think that's the difference. Everyone lets us come to it. They'll say, well, gee, you know, I went through this and this is what worked for me. But in the not telling us what to do, we heal ourselves. We do. Um, And I've discovered the, um, my three months well and truly being over is that what I'm actually doing is I am learning to love myself, um, to, I'm learning to be at peace. Um, I've the greatest gift that recovery has given me is every now and then I have pockets of Zen. Um, and I've, I, you know, I can quieten myself. Um, I don't have to be busy. I don't have to be racing around. You know, I can sit on a park bench for five minutes and just be. Um, and I think that's that was what I was looking for. I didn't know what I was looking for. And if I can do that more often, then 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 that's my recovery. Um, will I ever be free of depression? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that the black dog will always sit around the corner. Um, but I have this voice in my head that I call the bitch troll who's really mean. And, and <laughs> she's disappearing. And, you know, she's being replaced. I was going to say I haven't heard about her for a while. No, no, yeah. Um, she's there. You know, we, we, we occasionally tango together. Um, but I know that I'm a... I'm a match for her now. And I also, when she starts piping up, I have this chorus of voices in my head, you know, some are Canadian and some are American. And the odd Cockney one and a very sweary Scotsman who will, <laughs> who will, uh-huh. who will, um, you know, put her back in her place. She's valuable though, because I know when she does turn up, it's when I'm not concentrating on something I should be concentrating on. So she's now kind of turned into this um, reminder that I'm not doing the things I should be doing. Um, I'm not taking the time out. I'm not doing the meditation. I'm allowing the thoughts to run away with me. So if she turns up, I know that I need to sit back and work out what's what's set her off again. Um, so now instead of being the one in control, she's the one who's kind of the benchmark. That's right. And saying, hey. And so, you know, you, there is still a need for her. Yeah. I think she keeps me honest in my recovery, um, which is an irony. Well, um, and it sounds like no matter what, it sounds like you went somewhere for just a few months. It sounds to me like at the end you found a recovery process that works for you. And can you say Zen one more time? Zen. Yeah, see, I love that accent. I just had to, I wanted to stop you right then and say, keep saying Zen, Zen, Zen. <laughs> Oh, I should do a meditation tape with me just staying That's at right. <laughs> That's right. I, I actually had my sponsor do it the other day, reading the promises, because sometimes when I get really, really agitated or I'm doing my walking meditation, I love to go over the promises in my head, but I don't want to hear my own voice. And I said, yeah. hey, how about if you tape that and I can hear it in another voice? Just hearing another voice is great. Yeah. So, you know, I think maybe that would be really good for you to do something like that for yourself and for all of us, because your voice is very soothing. And I think the great thing is you came to recovery for a few months and, you know, that I've been here a long, long time and the same thing that comes through and through all the time, even after 40 years almost, 
is that whenever we enter any kind of recovery process and we turn ourselves over to it, always, 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 we end up with some degree of peace and serenity we didn't have. And when you're talking about the park bench, you're talking about your water, you're talking about creating your safe space at home, you're talking about reaching out and talking to other people. You know, all I'm hearing and visualizing is more peace, more serenity. And I think the thing is, too, is that one thing that's really important is we all have one life to live and it is as it is. And whether it's the life we imagined or didn't imagine. But the main thing is, I think the whole lesson in everything you're saying today is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm paraphrasing, is that, okay, so I get a whole different circumstances I didn't sign up for. I've got what I've got. I've had these losses. I've had these things to deal with. But now I've decided that I want to pause. I want to acknowledge I want to speak my truth out loud. I want to recover loudly so that I'm accountable. And in the end, I don't want to miss a minute of this life because this now is my life. And I don't want to be distracted by everything else and so deep in grief that I'm missing the life in front of me. That's right. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, Chris, you help so many people. You've helped me. You've helped uh, when you help me indirectly. You help Charlie. You've helped so many people. And really, you know, for someone who's been in recovery a long time, you know, I would, did not. It wasn't my experience to talk about mental health out loud. And I was 25 years sober and had a full breakdown. And I've never been the same. I've, uh, I lost some of my memory that never came back. Uh, it was a worse bottom than when I stopped drinking. And I would, I was never the same from that day forward. I never will be the same. I had to do what you said, which is live within my limitations and still have to today due to physical issues. But the thing is, you've taught me to speak out loud about it. I remember a year or so ago, it was very hard for me to really have a discussion about I was embarrassed I had been sober so long and ended up in such a mess Mm. and you kind of as you spoke more about it and I listened more I realized that hey you know what we don't talk enough about this we're talking about the substance but we're not talking about the dual diagnosis we're not talking about the mental health which in my case I believe today and again you and I spoke about this earlier I believe the mental illness was there long before the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. So I thank you for that gift. And, you know, I'm glad I hung around for 38 years to bump into you to learn that gift. So if you think you're not, you know, helping people, I mean, there's multitudes of people on Twitter that, you know, just love your input every day. So thank you so much for that. And as we wind up, could you tell us, I know it's hard to, Nail one thing. So can we maybe just name a couple of things that today you know that you are able to do beyond your wildest dreams that you know without recovery would not be possible? Um, well, this podcast for starters. I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say it, but I was thinking of the conversation before. Two people with yeah. anxiety and, and issues and it's yeah. like, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, simple things like um, posting selfies. I hated. I just hate photos of myself, and and so posting selfies. But also um, just being still. 
that's kind of the greatest gift that recovery's given me is to be comfortable in my own head. Um, Just do it, you and be okay yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's an interesting. I'm intrigued to see where it will go. The um, the first year was kind of all pink clouds. The second year was hard work. I'm in the third year now. I think it's kind of just building on what I've done before. Um, but no, it's um, I I love the people I've met on Twitter, and I love the people in the meetings and in our home group that you and I both belong to. That is such a safe place for me to be. It um, is. It just is. It's just it's just safe and wholesome and. That group of people are so special. Um, they don't know. I don't think they appreciate how much I get from them, and how much I've learned about myself just sitting in that group. So um, I'm very grateful for everyone whose paths I've crossed in the last two and a bit years. Um, and just remember that everyone's grateful for crossing your path. Well, thank you. That's, and um, you know that every tweet you do, every meeting you're in, every space that you're, you know are part of just remember that you know you also are what you're bringing to the table and um you know i just think that the honesty and the openness of you being able to speak about this i think the whole message of hope from you is embrace the life you have yeah live it beyond your wildest dreams absolutely and you know what take it a day at a time because it's ebb and flow. And like you said, no matter what happens and it's not that these things won't happen, but they will pass. Mm. So enjoy the good days while we got them. Yep. And, you know, I thank you so, so much, Chris, for coming today. And I know it's early, early there. And I just really appreciate your time and your patience. Appreciate you so much. And I send lots of hugs and I will see you soon. Thank you, Denise, and thank you for inviting me. I'm very touched. And you're really glad it's over with. I know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Take oh, and no swearing. Today. No swearing. Ta da! Yeah, I mean, now George is going to be really upset. I know. <laughs> Take care. Okay, thank you. Bye.